0: Of the Third Kind.
1: Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron and I am one of your hosts. There is another host that is joining me today, Danielson. Hey guys. Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon.
2: Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes.
1: In total, we have over 85 extra Patreon episodes, which is over 105 extra hours of listening pleasure. So to see this full list of Patreon episodes, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the Patreon episodes tab. There, you will see an entire list of Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published.
2: Also today, we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over Kellogg's. In that episode, we talk about the company Kellogg, the corruption and scandals that they have been a part of throughout the years, and the conspiracies and theories surrounding them. So you get access to that episode, as well as all the others, for just
1: $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't
2: feel pressured to leave us one if you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Satswatches, Chupacabras, Ghosts, Illuminati members, Underground Lizard People, whoever, whatever you are, to enjoy the show.
1: And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over Nestle. And how this episode will go today is that we'll talk a little bit about the history of Nestle and how it was created. And then we'll get into the meat of the episode, which is mainly about the scandals that they have been involved in and the corruption and all this crazy stuff I've never even knew about Nestle, and then after that we'll get into some theories about the uh, company, and then our own personal thoughts and theories, and then that will be the end of the episode. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode.
2: What if we told you that the world's largest food and drink supplier? is quite possibly one of the
1: world's most corrupt corporations. They partake in unethical business practices, such as taking clean drinking water in areas that sorely need it. They participate in human trafficking
2: and child labor, as well as exploit poverty-stricken mothers in third world countries.
1: They were named as one of the biggest polluters to the environment and is one of the most hated companies in the entire world. This is Nestle. Alright, so today's entire episode, like I said, is going to be mainly about the scandals and corruption surrounding Nestle. However, before we get into that, we first have to start off with the history of the company and how it got created. So Dan, do you want to start that off for us?
2: So the history of Nestle starts way back in the 1800s. During this time, milk was sort of a prized commodity. Refrigerators were uncommon, so people had issues keeping milk fresh and storing it. Now because of this, individuals started experimenting with methods of keeping milk fresh. And voila, condensed
1: milk was created. Now for those of you that don't know what condensed milk is, it's basically regular cow's milk that has had the water removed from it. Now, removing this water from the milk, it turns it into condensed milk, and it has a longer shelf life compared to regular milk. So that's just a little FYI for you.
2: So in the 1860s, two brothers named Charles and George Page had an idea they wanted to create a production facility for condensed milk. However, they needed an abundant supply of fresh milk. Well, lucky for them, Charles was a U.S. diplomat to Switzerland and he knew that Switzerland contained an assload of cows that made for a whole lot of milk. So
1: in 1866, the two brothers decided to move from the United States to Switzerland, and together they established the Anglo-Swiss Condensed Milk Company. Their production facility for condensed milk was the first one in Europe, and it became pretty popular pretty fast. Within a year, they were supplying Europe's industrial towns with a product of theirs called Milk Made, which they marketed as a safe and long-life alternative to fresh milk.
2: All right, so keep that condensed milk story in the back of your head, because it'll connect here in a bit. But let's turn our attention to a guy named Heinrich Nestle. So little Heinrich was born in 1814 in Germany. At the age of 16, he started a four-year apprenticeship
1: with an owner of a Frankfurt pharmacy to study medicines. In 1834, Heinrich turned 20, and at that time, he ended up completing his apprenticeship. Shortly after that, he moved to Switzerland, where he was officially authorized to perform chemical experiments, issue prescriptions, and sell medicines. Now, just a random little knowledge nugget right quick, Uh, but during this time, Heinrich decided to change his name from Heinrich Nestle to Henry. Nestle. All right, so moving forward. In 1843, Henry started to
2: become involved in the production of rum and vinegar. He also began manufacturing and selling carbonated mineral water and lemonade. Around 1867, Henry noticed that there was a high death rate among infants, and fresh milk was not always available in towns. And to top all of that off, breastfeeding was starting to be viewed as an unfashionable option. Because of this, Henry decided to make an infant formula. He combined cow's milk with grain and sugar and produced what he called a substitute for breast milk.
1: Fast forward to 1875. Henry Nestle decides to sell his company, which is called Nestle, and his factory to three local businessmen. These businessmen ended up employing chemists and skilled workers, and they started to ramp up production and sales. All right, so you remember that Anglo-Swiss condensed milk company that we talked about earlier, right? Well, in 1905, the company Nestle and that Anglo-Swiss, well, they ended up merging and forming what is now known as the Nestle Group.
2: Now, this is the perfect time for the two companies to merge. Cities are rapidly growing, railways and steamships are being built, which is bringing down the cost of goods dramatically. And in turn, it spurred international trade in consumer goods. The Nestle group ended up expanding and over the next few years ended up having more than 20 factories. And they started establishing a sales network that spans across Africa, Asia, Latin America, and
1: Australia. As Nestle was continuing to grow, World War I broke out, and in 1914, the demand for condensed milk grew dramatically. The milk was long-lasting and easy to transport, which made it popular with the armed forces. For example, in 1915, the British Army started issuing Nestle canned milk to soldiers in their emergency rations. By 1917, Switzerland then started to experience milk shortages. And because of this, Nestle began buying processing facilities in the United States and Australia. And by the end of World War I, they had over 40 factories worldwide.
2: After the war military demand for canned milk declined dramatically, which this caused a major crisis for Nestle. Around the same time, in 1929, the Wall Street crash occurred, which kicked off the Great Depression. This Great Depression reduces individuals' abilities to purchase any of Nestle's products, which in turn hurts the company. However, from the advice of a bank, Nestle decides to hire professional managers, which helps their company recover.
1: So later that year, Nestle started acquiring chocolate companies and launching different chocolate-related products, as well as launching their Nest Cafe product, which is a powdered extract of coffee. In 1939, World War II broke out, and every market took a financial hit. However, Nestle continued to operate and supplied both civilians and the armed forces with their products. When the United States entered the war, This is when the Nestle brand grew rapidly.
2: Now, just a little side knowledge nugget. But during World War II, Nestle was supplying both sides of the war. For example, they had a contract with the United States military to produce Cafe, a.k.a. coffee extract for the soldiers. Nestle also had a contract to feed the entire German army. So, yeah, they were playing both sides. Money,
1: money. Yeah, and just a little FYI. Nestle playing both of these sides of the war it actually came back to haunt them. In the year 2000, they ended up agreeing to pay $14.6 million to settle Holocaust-era claims that some of its companies in countries under German control, they actually used slave labor. Ooh. Now, at that time, they didn't care about who was operating the equipment in the German countries as long as the production was maintained and the factory wasn't shut down. They were like, hey, just keep on going. We don't care how you operate it. So, yeah, just another little knowledge nugget for you.
2: All right. So after World War II, Nestle's growth as a company accelerated. In 1947, they merged with Maggie, which was a seasoning brand. After that, Nestle began buying up a ton of other companies. For example, in 1960, they acquired Cross and Blackwell, which was a maker of preserves and canned foods. In
1: 1963... Nestle acquired Fendis Frozen Foods. Then in 1971, they acquired Libby's Fruit Juices. In 1973, they acquired Stouffer's Frozen Foods. Then in the late 70s, Nestle started diversifying into cosmetics and pharmaceuticals. They acquired a stake in L'Oreal, which was the world's number one cosmetics company, and they ended up buying Alcon Laboratories, which was the number one company in eye care products.
2: Then in 1984, Nestle made a $3 billion deal to acquire Carnation, which was a dairy and food company. At the time, it was the largest acquisition not involving oil in American corporate history.
1: Four years later, in 1988, Nestle purchased the pasta giant Butoni, and the British chocolate maker Roan Tree for a total of $5.5 billion. Then, in 2002, Nestle made another deal and purchased the maker of Hot Pockets and Toaster Pizza Snacks for a total of $2.6 billion.
2: Then, in 2010, Nestle purchased Kraft Frozen Pizza for $3.7 billion. One year later, Nestle decides to spend even more money and opens up Nestle Health Science and the Nestle Institute of Health Sciences, which is said to be a lab study center to research science-based nutritional products aimed at preventing and treating chronic medical conditions. Then one year after that, in 2012, Nestle acquires Wyeth Nutrition for $11.9 billion. One year after that, in 2013, Nestle bought PamLab, which is a medical food company that specializes in medical nutrition for patients with conditions including mild cognitive impairment and
1: depression. So, needless to say, Nestle is a huge company. They have over 2,000 brands with a wide range of products, including coffee, bottled water, milkshakes, candies, breakfast cereals, infant foods, refrigerated food, ice cream, and even pet food.
2: Nestle also produces pharmaceuticals. The company has over 400 factories in 86 countries and has operations in every country of the world. In 2018, Nestle had a total revenue of $99.3 billion, and currently they are the largest food company in the world.
1: All right. So that's the history of Nestle right there and what they are today. And man, they are huge. I never even knew that they had that many brands or that they were the largest food company in the world. They're everywhere. Everywhere you look, they're everywhere. You just, they're everywhere. Uh, since you listeners can't see, Dan held up a bottled water that said Nestle on it. So shame on you. You're going to be throwing that out at the end of this episode, by the way. All right. So let's get into the good stuff. Now, Nestle has been associated with a ton of controversies, boycotts, and many other slimy things that corrupt corporations do. However. Before we get into those scandals, we're going to take a quick 60-second break. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. It's about to get good.
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: All right. Welcome back. So, Dan, do you want to start it off for us and tell us about the first scandal?
2: All right. So our first scandal that we are going to talk about revolves around water. Now, not many people know this, but Nestle is actually the world's largest producer of bottled water. Currently, Nestle sells bottled water under 72 brands in 160 countries. Their annual bottled water sales alone reach approximately $10 billion.
1: So needless to say, they sell an assload of water, especially bottled water. But that begs the question, where the hell do they get all this water from? Well, that's where a lot of this controversy comes from. So Nestle ends up buying its water from quote-unquote water sources and then they turn around and resell it for an immense amount of profit.
2: For example, Nestle agreed to pay Ontario, Canada $3.71 for every million liters of water that it pumps out from their underground aquifers. Nestle then turns around and packages that water up into bottled water and sells it to the public for as much as $2 million for every million liters, which that is an insane profit.
1: Yeah, the $3.71, boop. Magically turns into $2 That's crazy. Yeah, and and it just gets even worse. So another example of this was the amount of money that they pay for the amount of water that they get from Michigan. Now, why is this a big deal? Well, it's because of the water issue that's going on in Flint, Michigan right now. And if you don't know about that, it started off like this.
2: In 2011, the city of Flint, Michigan was having some financial issues. So the state of Michigan ended up taking over their budgets and finances and began cost-cutting measures to get the city back on track. One of those measures was changing the municipal water supply. Flint used to purchase their city water from Detroit,
1: Lake Huron. However, the new plan was to create a new line just for the town to Lake Huron to save money in the long run. Now, to save money in the short term while the pipeline was being constructed, which was going to take two years, by the way, they would draw water from the nearby Flint River.
2: The problem is that the state's Department of Environmental Quality wasn't treating the river for human consumption, and they didn't introduce any anti-corrosive agents to it. This made the water from the Flint River start corroding the pipes that led to people's homes. Some of those water lines are made of lead, so people were getting lead in their water far in excess of federal guidelines, that in turn caused all sorts of health problems in the city.
1: Now, during this whole time, the residents of Flint weren't aware of what was in their water, but they were complaining about the taste and the color of it, so state and local officials repeatedly were insisting that everything was fine, despite receiving warnings and testing results to the contrary. Eventually, doctors at a local medical center were starting to become worried about a growing trend of children in their city having health problems which were all consistent with lead poisoning. Because of
2: the poverty in the area, which is 40% below the poverty line, most of the residents have Medicare and Medicare laws require states to keep records of blood lead levels in children. The doctors explored them both in the past and present, noting that the lead levels had exploded, more than doubling in children over time. When the state refused to listen to the doctors, they responded by going public.
1: Now, the state tried to say that their own research was more accurate, but they weren't willing to release anything to prove it. Now, within weeks, the city went back to using Detroit's water, but it didn't matter at that time. The lead pipes were already corroded and the lead levels did go down a little bit, but they still remained dangerously high.
2: State officials are facing a class action lawsuit on the grounds that they were aware of the problem, but completely ignored it.
1: So that is the water issue that's going on in Flint, Michigan. But what does that have to do with Nestle? Well, during all that water issue stuff that was going on in Flint, the Michigan Department for Environmental Quality decided to issue a permit to Nestle to allow them to pump 400 gallons of water per minute from its state's freshwater sources, bottle that water up, and then sell it. And then do you know how much they were charging Nestle to allow them to pump that 400 gallons of water per minute? Only $200 a year.
2: Meanwhile, residents in Flint, Michigan are paying close to $200 a month for water
1: that they can't even use. Now, another fact worth mentioning about Nestle and water was that back in the year 2000, Nestle and a few other large food corporations actually went to the World Water Forum in Netherlands, where leaders of corporations got together and talked about water and it being a human right to have access to fresh water. Now, uh, what did Nestle do at this large gathering? (laughs) Well, they decided to uh, persuade this World Water Forum to change the designation of water to be a human need instead of a human right. Then five years later, one of the Nestle executives stated that the idea of water being a human right was, and we quote, extreme. Hmm. Yeah, it just keeps getting worse.
2: Just another little random fact, but in 2008, Miami-Dade County in Florida wanted to tell its residents that their tap water was cheaper and safer than bottled water as sort of a way to reassure their residents in using it. So the Miami-Dade County decided the best way to tell their residents this information was to run some radio ads claiming that their tap water was cheaper and safer than bottled water. Now get this. Nestle heard about this and thought that this would hurt the sales of bottled water in that area, so they ended up threatening to sue the
1: county if they didn't stop the radio ads. Yeah, the county was just like, hey, <laughs> we want to run ads on the radio to let the residents know that hey, the water's safe to drink and it's safer than bottled water. Nestle heard about this, was like, uh uh, uh-uh. We're gonna sue you if you do that. How could they sue them for that? I don't know. It, it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse because the scandals don't stop there. So between two thousand and eleven to two thousand and seventeen. The state of California had a record-breaking drought, and the citizens there were being told, hey, ration their use of water. You know, you can't use that much. Don't water your lawns anymore, all that stuff. Now, in 2015, in the middle of this drought, the Desert Sun News published an article that stated Nestle was using and getting water in the state of California, and they were increasing their consumption of it every year. Now, this article ended up going viral, which led to an ass load of complaints to the state. And then finally, it led to an investigation by the Water Board into Nestle.
2: Now, what this investigation found was crazy. So back in the early 80s, Nestle had made a deal with the State Forest Service to pump water out of the San Bernardino National Forest for $524 per year. Well, this permit to pump that water expired in 1988 and was never renewed. However, Nestle continued to get water from that national forest. The investigation found out that until 2015, Nestle had pumped an average of 62.6 million gallons of water per year
1: from that national forest. And they didn't have a permit. It it had expired. And they were like, fuck it, we're going to do it anyways. We're going to pump this water out. You know they were paying someone off now. Well, they're investigated. And guess what this investigation found? They concluded that it wasn't Nestle's fault, that instead that the state forest service had suffered budget cuts resulting in a backlog of permits for renewal. So the investigation also said that in the 20 years since Nestle's permit had expired, The Forest Service had failed to prioritize enforcement despite the high quantity of water that Nestle pumps out of their ground each year.
2: The state then concluded that Nestle only has a valid right to use about 8.5 million gallons of water per year from the national forest. However, Nestle was like,
1: uh, f*** you,
2: that they have the right to pump 88 million gallons of water from the forest per year.
1: Nestle wasn't like, oh, thank you. We messed up. Thank you for allowing us to get only 8.5 million gallons of water now. Instead, they were like, F you. We're still going to pump 88 million gallons out, not 8.5 million gallons. Damn. All right. So Nestle, of course, is getting a lot of blowback from all this. And they try to paint themselves as like a responsible corporation that doesn't pollute. Like they don't contribute to pollution. And they've stated that multiple times. However, that's not the case. And to give you a feel of how much they contribute to pollution, let's, uh, let's hit you with some random facts about bottled water, since they are the biggest producer of that. So take it away, Dan.
2: All right. So more than 100 million plastic bottled waters are used worldwide every day. It takes those plastic bottles 700 years to start decomposing, and almost all of them are petroleum-based. Now, in the United States alone, it takes 1.5 million barrels of oil to meet the demands
1: of those plastic water bottles being made. An estimated 1,500 plastic bottles end up as trash in landfills are thrown into the ocean every second, every second worldwide. 1,500 plastic bottles are thrown into, into the ocean and... Uh, This, of course, makes plastic be listed as the number one threat to the marine ecosystem. And get this, I did not know this, but there's an area in the Pacific Ocean that is the size of Texas, known as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, and it is composed of plastic. Really? Yeah. Hang on, let's pull up a picture of this. Look at that. You can go to DuckDuckGo and type in Great Pacific Garbage Patch. And you can see all the plastic and garbage that is just everywhere. Uh, yeah, that's terrible. I never knew this existed. Imagine driving your boat or, like, sailing across the sea, and you didn't know this existed, and then you see this. That's terrible. So there you go. It's something to think about next time you uh, hear Nestle say that they don't contribute to pollution. You can just look at that big, great Pacific garbage patch and say, wow, yeah, they do. Yeah, I mean, when you're the top producers of bottled waters. Yeah, they are the top producer of bottled waters by far.
2: You have to think that you have some part in that.
1: No, absolutely. And Yep. All right. So let's get into our next scandal, uh, which Nestle is probably mostly known for, uh, which is baby formula.
2: So this scandal involving Nestle and baby formula all came to light in 1974. So during that year, a report was published by an investigative organization called War on Want. This report was titled The Baby Killer.
1: In this report, they stated that Nestle was doing some really shady shit in third world countries. They were purposely going to these developing countries and marketing their infant formula to mothers that were in poverty over there just so that they could get more sales.
2: For example, on several occasions, Nestle dressed up their saleswomen in nurses' uniforms and offered free infant formula samples to new mothers and told them that breast milk may not be sufficient enough for their baby because they, a.k.a. the mother, her body was deprived of vitamins, minerals, and other nutrients since she wasn't eating a lot since she was living in poverty and that this baby formula could provide those extra vitamins to her baby.
1: Now, this was sort of true because those mothers in the developing countries were affected by malnutrition. However, this tactic that was being used on them to manipulate them, it was kind of adding to the problem. What would happen is that these free samples would be given to the mothers in which they thought that their babies would need this formula for its extra vitamins. So the mothers would then feed this free formula samples to their babies the mothers would stop breastfeeding the baby,
2: and by the time the mothers would run out of the free formula samples, they would have already stopped producing breast milk. Because of that, these women would have no other option other than to continue buying the baby formula so that their baby wouldn't starve. The excessive cost of this formula compared to free breast milk contributed to poverty, which was the real root cause of the woman being malnourished from the start.
1: Yeah, you have women who are malnourished, in third world countries because they're living in poverty because they don't have enough money. So then you have these nurses come in and say, hey, you're malnourished, you can't give your baby enough vitamins to your breast milk, give them this formula. So they start feeding them this formula, and by the time they get done with the free samples, their breast milk had dried up, and they couldn't breastfeed the baby anymore, and the mothers were stuck with having to buy this formula now. The deception to pretend to be nurses And it wasn't just those fake nurses. This was actually the hospitals that were doing it too. So another thing that the report published was that Nestle was spending money on improvements to hospitals in that area. Nestle would go to these hospitals in the area and say, hey, uh, we see you need this, this, or this improved on your hospital. We'll pay for that in exchange for you giving out baby formula to new mothers. So it's a win-win. You can provide this baby formula to new mothers and we'll give you improvements to your uh, hospital. In many of the cases, the hospitals were like, hell yeah. However, it started to be reported that the hospital staff were feeding these newborns uh, with Nestle's formula during their stay and would send these mothers home with a free can and bottle trying to establish the potential for, like, the lactation to cease or the baby to reject the breast milk. So basically, exactly the same thing that they were doing with the fake nurses they were doing in actual hospitals.
2: This unethical promotion and false marketing led to malnutrition and infection in infants. This would have been completely avoidable if Nestle had not intervened to create a market for breast milk substitutes where there was not one previously.
1: Now, this report kind of went viral about Nestle being shitty and uh, doing this to the mothers over there. And all the news stations started talking about it. This, in turn, caused people all around the world to start boycotting Nestle. Finally, in 1981, the World Health Organization decided to step in and were like, hey, we're going to finally develop guidelines for advertising breast milk substitutes, you know, aka formula. We're going to say, hey, we're going to put guidelines to where you can only advertise formula this way. However... It didn't really matter because countries are not required by law to implement these guidelines. It's kind of like just recommended by the World Health Organization that they do.
2: Now, there was a recent study done by another investigative organization that showed that Nestle was still undermining the credibility of breast milk. Nestle was saying that their baby formula was scientifically equal and or superior to human breast milk, which is not the case.
1: Not the case at all. So I was fed breast milk and uh, my brother was not. And I'm clearly the smarter one in the family. So I think that's proof right there.
2: I'll go ahead and agree with you.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know my brother. Y- yeah, I know your brother. All right. So we got a few more scandals, uh, some real, real bad ones coming up. Uh, but before we get into those, we're going to take our last 60-second break. It's the last one. Stick around. You're going to want to hear these last ones. We'll be right back. Bye. All right. Thank you for sticking around. Let's get into our next scandal. Dan, (laughs) you want to get into this spicy one? All right. So our next scandal is
2: slave labor. So Nestle purchases a lot of their seafood that they sell in their food products from Thailand fisheries. An investigation into the Thailand fisheries by the Associated Press revealed some shocking stuff.
1: Yeah. The Associated Press stated that uh, what happens at these Thailand fisheries is that they don't have enough workers. So what they do is they go to poor countries such as like Cambodia and they find immigrants over there that need work. And these Thailand people who run these fisheries for Nestle, they go over there, they tell these workers in Cambodia, hey, I can take you to Thailand. So they kind of sneak them into Thailand and they're charged these illegal fees. Like they say, hey, I, since I brought you over here to work, you're gonna pay me back X amount of dollars. And how you can do that is that you're going to work for this fishery and you're going to pay off that fee that I'm going to charge you for bringing you over to Thailand as a worker, which that's totally illegal and considered slave labor.
2: This ends up trapping the immigrants in that job. On many occasions, the fishing nets are too heavy and the workers will get pulled into the water and just disappear. Or if someone dies on the boat that is an immigrant, they just get thrown into the water and then left
1: there. So these type of reports were being spread all across the world. And Nestle was like, oh, shit, here we go again. And they decided to launch their own investigation into this Thailand fishery. Their findings were made public. And it revealed that almost all other companies that source their seafood from Thailand, which is the world's third biggest seafood exporter, by the way, were entwined in this abuse. (laughs) So Nestle was like, yeah, look, okay." We found that there's slave labor going on. But look, we're not the only other company that's doing it. There's all these other companies that are doing it as well. (laughs) So they kind of spread the blame to everybody else as well. Um, But Nestle came out with a statement and said that they promised to take action to improve workers' conditions and find more ethical ways in sourcing seafood.
2: And if that wasn't bad enough, it gets worse. Oh, yeah, it does. In 2005, the International Labor Rights Fund filed a lawsuit against Nestle on behalf of three Malayan children. This lawsuit alleged that these children were trafficked to West Africa and forced into slavery, working at a cocoa plantation owned by Nestle, where they experienced frequent
1: beatings. Yeah, so pretty much child trafficking. Nestle didn't take any questions about this lawsuit and continued to delay the suit until 2010. And get this, you want to know why they decided to delay it until 2010? It's because the U.S. District Court for the Central District of California at that time determined corporations cannot be held liable for violations of international laws. So this in turn made Nestle able to dismiss the suit that was filed against them in 2005 for child trafficking, to traffic children to West Africa, to use them as workers. So corporations can do that and not be held liable. Completely messed up. See, I figured that wouldn't
2: take an effect until 2010. So even though it was filed in 2005, they still get charged with that shit. That's how I'd see it.
1: No, and that's just in California. Keep in mind, it's not federal yet. That was just in California where that was determined. However, what you're going to go over next, it turns it national.
2: A 2012 report by the Fair Labor Association found numerous serious violations of Nestle's own child labor policies among its suppliers. In 2021, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that Nestle could not be sued in American courts for child slavery on the African farms run by its suppliers.
1: Yeah, so they went after them federally. And then 2021, the U.S. Supreme Court, which this year, U.S. Supreme Court was like, eh, Nestle can't be held liable for... uh Child slavery is going on. And uh, just a little knowledge nugget to add to this section. In 2006, the International Labor Rights Committee, they ended up filing a lawsuit against Nestle in the U.S. courts, accusing the company in torture and murder of a Colombian trade union leader by paramilitary forces in which Nestle had a long-standing relationship with. So is what essentially they were saying is that this International Labor Rights Committee said that, hey, Nestle had a brand over there in Colombia, and this brand had a union leader that was causing issues with Nestle. And Nestle got a hold of some paramilitary forces and was like, hey, we're having some issues. And those forces went and captured that trade union leader and tortured and murdered him.
2: Oh, my God.
1: And that lawsuit by the committee was like, hey, Nestle is the one who caused all this. So um, what happened to that lawsuit? Well, that case was also thrown out uh, and dismissed due to, and I quote, corporations not being held liable for violations of international law. So pretty much anything outside of the U.S.,
2: Oh, we don't mess with that.
1: They can do whatever they want, and they will not get prosecuted in the United States. (sighs) I know. All right, so uh, give us our next scandal, Dan.
2: All right, so our next scandal occurred in the 1970s. So during this time in the 70s, a military regime in the country of Ethiopia ended up seizing all the assets of foreign companies. Among these affected companies was Nestle, which lost around $6 million.
1: Over the years, Nestle has continued to contact Ethiopia saying, hey, when are we going to get our $6 million back? I mean, even in 1984, when Ethiopia stated, hey, look, man, we don't have any money. We're in the middle of a famine right now. Everyone is starving, and over a million people have died. Nestle was like, we don't care. We just want our $6 million back. And they kept on hounding them. This continued all the way even until 2002. After a three-year drought, and again on the brink of famine, and the Ethiopian government being broke, Nestle was still like, hey, we want our money back. This entire time, the Ethiopian government was like, broke as shit, and they were in a famine. Nestle was like, we want our $6 million.
2: Now, the Guardian News organization ended up writing an article about this. This article went viral, and over 40,000 people wrote letters to Nestle, pleading for them to cut their losses saying that if Ethiopia was to pay back the money, it was going to leave the country without any money to purchase food internationally to help feed its people, and in turn, millions would die.
1: Which, that makes sense, right? Yeah. The government was using its funds to purchase food internationally to feed its people. And that's, like, pretty much the only thing that was, like, keeping them from going into famine.
2: So, how did Nestle respond? Well, they refused to let Ethiopia off the hook and stated that it was the principle of the matter. That was important.
1: Yeah. And after they released that statement, it was like a huge backlash. Everybody was like, let's boycott Nestle again for the five billionth time. And uh, Nestle was like, oh, shit, here we go. So they released another statement that said that they had reconsidered their beliefs and actually have come to an agreement with the Ethiopian government of $1.5 million of the six million and that Nestle wasn't going to keep the $1.5 million, that they was going to reinvest it back into Ethiopia. A.K.A. I bet they were going to probably purchase more land or build more factories or do something. Probably. Like, it, it wasn't going to go back to the food for the people there in Ethiopia.
2: That sounded like some mafia shit right there. Oh, yeah. It's not really about the money. It's a, the principle of the matter. Break his hand.
1: Yeah, let's see millions of Ethiopians die.
2: That's messed up. You're making me not want to drink my water.
1: Yeah, exactly. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? Hey, let's get into this uh, last bit of these scandals, okay? And then you can figure out at the end if you want to continue drinking your water. All
2: right. So our next scandals are about the food products from Nestle over the years. In June of 2009, an outbreak of E. coli food poisoning in the United States was linked to Toll House Refrigerated Cookie Dough produced by Nestle at a plant in Danville, Virginia. In the U.S., it caused sickness in more than 50 people in 30 states, half of whom require hospitalization. Nestle ended up recalling all Toll House products in the country. Now, even though that the last one was bad, it is just a minor incident compared to the 2008 Chinese milk scandal.
1: I mean, E. coli outbreak, it's bad. A lot of people got sick, but it's nothing compared to this 2008 Chinese milk scandal. Nothing. So six infants were killed and 860 were hospitalized in 2008 in China after Nestle's infant formula was found to be contaminated with melamine, which is a substance sometimes illegally added to food products to increase, like, the apparent protein count to make it seem more nutritious for the babies. Oh. Yeah, so in October of 2008, uh, Taiwan's health ministry announced that six types of milk powders Produced in China by Nestle, contained low level traces of melamine and were removed from the shelves. The scandal quickly escalated, with
2: China reporting over 300,000 victims, raising concerns about the security of major food companies operating in China. Two people were executed and several life prison sentences were issued, with the World Health Organization referring to the incident as one of the largest food safety events it has had to deal with in recent years. Nestle denied implication and claimed that all its products are clean.
1: (laughs) Even though the evidence clearly points to it not being clean. I mean, you got China over there (laughs) executing people that work for Nestle over there. That's, oh man, you got infants dying from the formula. It's like, damn, Nestle, get your shit together. Oh, all right. So, of course, we don't have any strange facts and findings this week because Pretty much the entire scandals was all strange facts and findings about Nestle. So let's get into theories, and we just got a couple theories. Uh, One is kind of out there, and one is kind of level. Now, I'm going to do the level one, and then you can cover the kind of out there one, Dan. Ooh, okay. So our first theory is that governments all around the world are aware of the corruption within Nestle, but they allow it to happen. Now, the reason that they allow it is because Nestle is too big to fail. Nestle fills a consumer demand, and without them, the government officials think that millions of people would starve to death. So, in turn, Nestle is able to get away with more. The governments are more flexible. Now, not only this, but Nestle also lines the pockets of politicians all around the world, a.k.a. bribes. Um, so that is another reason why they never get shut down or have giant fines given to them. It's because those politicians would miss out on the bribes that are given, uh, given to them from Nestle. So too big to fail. Kind of like the banks. Yeah, I can see that. And the government's kind of like complicit, but they only make statements and say, oh, we're mad at you Nestle, but behind closed doors, the government's like, hey, you might want to tighten up your shit, you know?
2: I mean, considering how big Nestle is and how many companies and stuff that they have taken over, if they did anything to Nestle, just think of the backlash that the government would get from Nestle.
1: Yeah. They're just like, well, we can't do that to them. They'll do this. It wouldn't be the government that would get the backlash. It would be the the people, people. And then the people would backlash the government. So what would happen is you would see people not having access to water, bottled water you would see the food prices skyrocket because they're a large producer in foods. Yeah. And you'd have a lot of people starving. The price of water would skyrocket, bottled water. And then in turn, people would revolt against the government and say, why aren't you helping? So the government would be like, well, we don't want that blowback. We're just going to allow Nestle to, you know, we'll be more lenient with them in what they do in their f***-ups. I mean, yeah. Which they're kind of aware of what's going on, the government is, and they allow it. Yeah, they only get
2: like a tap on the hand and that's it. Yeah. No, I can see that for sure.
1: Yeah. So um, cover this next theory, Dan. Tell us about this one.
2: All right. So our next theory is definitely a little out there. It is called the extermination plan. Now, this theory is that Nestle is actually being run way up at the top by either an alien race, reptilian race, demons or AI with the overall goal of getting humans sicker and sicker over the years by feeding us bad food and eventually leading to shorter lives and overall extinction of the human race. This is either aliens doing this, or demons doing it to get appeasement from the suffering of humans, or an AI robot race that is playing the really, really long game and taking us humans out.
1: It kind of makes sense if it was an AI robot doing this. That theory breaks it down if it was an extermination plan. It would either be an alien race, reptilians, demons, or AI. The demons aren't really wanting to exterminate us. They're just wanting to make suffering of humans, and it gives them, like, happiness, right? Or gives fulfills their needs. The other one is aliens are doing this and taking us out, which I think they'd have, like, a better way. You know, they just release some crazy disease and we all die. Um, The next one would be robots are doing this. And some people would say robots wouldn't do, like, a long game. You know, like take hundreds of years to exterminate the human race by feeding them garbage and just waiting for them to all die of sickness from this bad food. But then again, you got to think about robots. They don't they don't have to worry about lifespans. They live forever. So our couple hundred years is nothing compared to them living for however long they can. You know,
2: say if it was alien race, reptilian race, demons or something like that, the shorter our lives just shows the longer that they live. And you know, when someone lives, say like, even if a human lives over 100 years, like it's like, holy shit, that's amazing. Think of these like aliens, reptilians, that they live longer than us. Way longer. Like the Nephilim. They live longer. They're praised as like super beings, gods, stuff like that. So shorter our lives, they would be praised more because now they're living, they're just thinking like, Not even actually knowing that if they're like aliens, reptilians, but just super beings. Okay. So they would be praised more. I mean, I don't know.
1: What if it's just an experiment ran by them? They're saying, hey, let's see what happens when we feed these humans this kind of diet over an extended period of time. Oh, what if it's just like governmental studies over a long period of time, right? Nestle has over 2,000 brands. Yeah. These... Government or the Illuminati, right? Let's just hypothetically say that the Illuminati wants to test something on the public. Well, how do you test this medicine or disease or whatever on the public? You can state, hey, Nestle owns this one little food brand that distributes ice cream to this one country in this one area. You can go contaminate that ice cream and study what happens to those individuals in that one country over a period of time it allows for mass studying of humans uh exposed to certain things you know what this reminds me of what the bill gates episode oh yeah on patreon right
2: yeah where they were uh what was it giving like shots or something over oh yeah and over- Ashley.
1: yeah they were doing a test on the children uh, uh, overseas for different vaccines yeah that's what that reminds me of it's crazy huh Yeah. All right. So, what's your personal thoughts behind it? Do you think that they're aware that they're doing this and just kind of like not giving a shit because they're too big to fail? Do you think it's a test by aliens? Do you think they're just a lazy company? Do you think they just have so many brands that they're susceptible to this type of mess? Yeah. I mean, money
2: talks. They have enough money to, if something did happen, they have enough money to pay people off. Like, you know, politicians and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's not like, oh, we could do this. What are they going to do? Slap us on the hand. Oh, here you go. Some money on the table. Boom. Done and over with. We're moving on. I mean, it's that first theory is pretty much what I'd go with, if anything, because there's like so big and the fact that the brand, like all the companies they own, they'd have a huge effect on it. I still think the whole blowback thing. And plus, you know,
1: like I said, you know, These politicians are filling their money, like their pockets with money. You're saying that Nestle is filling the politicians' pockets with money? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of right there with you, but I want to say that the government is aware of it and allows it because Nestle gives them access to certain individuals, certain groups of individuals to test certain things. And then not only that, but I think that... They know, the governments know that, hey, these bad products that are being pushed out, not contaminated, but, but bad for you, like the sugar and all that stuff, is allowing more of the citizens to become obese and allowing them to become more, quote-unquote, brainwashed with, like, sugar and all that stuff, and all they care about is food, which in turn makes them more easier to be controlled, right? So you have out-of-shape, sugar-filled, obese citizens Who are not going to rise up against the government and question anything they do or say.
2: Yeah, I mean, Nestle is dabbling in pharmaceuticals now and stuff, and they have, like, research facilities.
1: Yeah, they have health research facilities that is used to be like, hey, let's publish this paper that states, hey, our foods aren't bad. You know, if they get backlash on, like, their frozen foods, they'll release this peer, quote-unquote, peer-reviewed scientific paper that says, Scientists find that there is no link to heart attacks and cancer or obesity and cancer. And that's in that that would be like if some people were would say like, hey, this Stouffer's chicken has too much sugar in it or some shit like that. And sugar causes heart failure, you know, then that uh, Nestle's medical team would release that peer reviewed paper. Then boom, the media would say, oh, no, this peer reviewed paper says that sugar is not linked to heart failure shit like that they use it for their own yeah Nestle health
2: science and nestle institute of health sciences which we said earlier their aim is to research science-based nutritional products aimed at preventing and treating chronic medical conditions it's like oh we're we're actually trying to help you but
1: no so their food causes that yeah health problems and they're using their that 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 research facility to kind of like discredit what the people are saying About their food, yeah, we've done our studies. It's safe. Y'all are wrong. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Overall, this this company's shitty. In my opinion, I don't think anybody should go buy Nestle products. You know what? Nestle, you can go f yourself. How about that? All right. You got anything else you want to add to today's episode before we transition uh, the on the scene for this week?
2: You really make me not want to drink my water now.
1: I wouldn't. I'd throw it out. Is
2: this Nestle right here?
1: No. This this one right here. We have the same water. Yeah, pH plus 9.5, that's what I'm talking about. All right, well, I appreciate everyone for sticking around for today's episode. We're now going to move to our on the scene. Hell yeah. So if you're unfamiliar what uh on the scene is, it is where a listener goes on the streets and asks any unaware individual about any conspiracy that's going on in the world today. And if you want to be a part of it, all you got to do is take your phone, and go record somebody asking them questions and make sure it's less than two minutes long and then send that audio recording to either Dan or me at Aaron at com, or you can send it to Dan at Theories of the Third kind.com. and it will be played. All right, so for this week's On the Scene, it is from Nathan and we're going to play that right now.
2: Okay, so I'm here with my girlfriend, Mary Ellen, I'm going to ask her a couple questions questions, see what she thinks about
1: it. What are your thoughts about aliens?
0: Um, I don't believe in aliens, and I never really have ever believed in them. Why? Um, mainly because there's not enough evidence or proof that kind of makes me believe they exist. Mm-hmm. Usually it's explained or kind of debunked. OK. Uh, what are your thoughts about black eyed children? Um, I heard about that one from a podcast, um, and it's definitely creepy as hell. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what to think of it. I guess, like I said, no, no evidence, but for some reason, the thought of it still scares me.
2: Would you answer the door if a black eyed children came to your door? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) And last question. What are your thoughts about Bigfoot?
0: I think Bigfoot exists. Why? Um, I don't know why, because I've done research in that, too. And I guess there's some evidence or some pictures that I've seen that either haven't been explained or I don't know. I just I feel like that's more believable out of all of them.
1: And do you think they still exist? No. Okay. thank you. All right. That was good on the scene this week. That was pretty good. Thank you, Nathan. And was it Mary Ellen? Yes. All right, I was just making sure. She had a good voice. Mary Helen, or Mary Ellen, Mary Helen. I'm not sure which one. Yeah. I apologize. The quality was good. Good speaking voice. Yeah, and quality was great. That made Aaron happy. It did. You know what? You know what I appreciate? I appreciate good quality recordings. And that was a pretty good one. I, I really appreciate that. Good quality questions, too. Clear, straight to the point. Yeah. And good answers.
2: Now, it makes me question, though, she doesn't believe in aliens, but does that involve UFOs as well? Because, I mean, there's a lot of UFO evidence. Well,
1: hey, there's people who say that UFOs and aliens are two different things. That UFOs are not spaceships, that they're actual beings from different dimensions that travel around looking like spaceships. So, pretty much like Transformers. Okay. (laughs) Interdimensional Transformers. Honestly,
2: that's the first time I've ever heard that. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. It's weird. Makes you think. But anyways, thank you, Nathan and Mary Ellen, for the wonderful on the scene this week. Yes, thank you. All right. So now we're going to move on to shout outs. You want to start off first, Dan, with your shout outs on Facebook?
2: Yep, I will. I will start off then. So for Facebook, I have Chris W., Jeff H., Abby and Stuart P., John N., Stephen O., Bella M., Robert M, Alex C, Tyler G, Queen La D, and Tina P from Facebook. Then uh, I got two from Instagram, which is uh, Tavon and his girlfriend. I don't know how to say her name. Chrisle- Chrislerine or whatever. Something like that. I'm sorry. I don't know how to say it. And then uh, Lil Mac. Then uh, for Discord, I got Joe Dierte, Jessamini, and Braylee. And those will be
1: my shout-outs. All right. So I'm going to start off with Instagram shout-outs. Shout-out to Daddy Timothy. <laughs> I don't know. They were just like, hey, can Daddy Timothy get a shout-out? Yeah, you can. Sweet. Um, shout-out to Octavius Valdez. To Ashley Potvin. uh Her and her husband actually had a date night where they listened to our podcast. So. It's pretty cool.
2: Do they drink wine or champagne while they listen? Because that'd be nice.
1: Oh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Uh, Let's see. Shout out to Jacob M., Stephen W., Patrick Chavare, Kelly Long, Travis Valpe, John Northrup, Tyson Hawley, Charlie, Caden, Samantha Legg, Matilde Couric, Stacey Hilton, Martin Ryan, Robert Finney, Shanna, Samantha Holt, Davy Boy. He says, love you, mother effers. Love you too, Davy Boy. Love you. Kevin Evans. Or Kendall Evans. Sorry about that. Um, Ryan V, Mark C, Dewey, uh, Fern versus the World. A lot of um, a lot of shout-out requests. Sorry, I'm just kind of like going through all of them. I think that's all of the, yeah, that's all the ones on our normal uh, Instagram. Let's go over to our, my personal Instagram. Shout out to Travis, JT, Josh T, Glicky, Miles W, David V, Connor S, Dewey, Josie, Mirda Says, shout me out, dog. I'm an OG to this shit. Well, shout out to you, J St. Mirda Myrda. Myrda. Um, Anthony Powers Noel Tormos said been listening to us for over 4,000 minutes it's a long ass time man I appreciate that, that. Is. Jamie W and Peyton I'm sorry if I missed somebody we got a, like an ass load of emails too oh yeah <sighs> man I have to save those shout outs for next week because it's a lot of shout outs on the email we've gotten a ton of email Emails about stories and things, and we're we're just trying to you know make our way through all the emails and still do the research for the episodes and still publish the episodes each week, and it's hard just the two of us, you know. Anyway, so that's, we can make it if we try. <laughs> we can make it if we. Try. So that's the end of my shoutouts. You got anything else you want to say before we go into uh, free talk?
2: No, I'm good with shoutouts. I think.
1: All right, so let's head over to free talk. So, how was your weekend? Was it good?
2: It was pretty good. Uh, I, I'm still sore from, uh, helping my niece put up a fence.
1: I hate T-posts now. Did you do the manual T-post, uh, thing? Yes, I did. Oh, that's fun. It builds, uh, muscle and character.
2: Yeah, this is how, as far as my arms want to go up.
1: Nice. Yeah. So what else do you do besides, uh, drill T-posts in the ground? See, did that,
2: and what did I do Saturday? I have no idea what I did Saturday.
1: Okay. I just, I just worked. It was another weekend filled with work for me. Literally worked every single day. Today is my first day off in like a long time. So I was excited to have today off. I just slept most of the day and then went to the bank and then went to the post office and then came home. And that was the extent, oh, into the grocery store. So that was the extent of my uh, traveling and what I did today. But tomorrow I'm going to do quite a bit more. After we get done uh, scheduling the episode, I got to run to Micro Center and pick up a few things. Nice. So, yeah. Besides that, not very, um, not, a, not a great weekend. I mean, not an exciting weekend. Nah. That homeless guy flipped me off. Did you flip him off back? No, no, I didn't flip him off back. I was like, man, he must be going through some shit. Just to randomly flip me off. Maybe that was an invitation. I was, okay. Hold on. Let me tell you the story. So I'm driving to work pull up at the stoplight, and I got to turn right. He was in my blind spot. He's walking across, but he's jaywalking. You know, he's not supposed to be walking. But as I start barely scooting out ahead, I hear somebody say, hey, hey, and I stop. I'm like, what the hell is that? And he comes walking past my blind spot, my front windshield. I'm like, oh, shit, so I back up, and I give him, like, the little, like, hand up, like, I'm sorry, a mouth, I'm sorry. And he just gives me the freaking bird. you. As he continues walking and I'm like, you're lucky I don't get out and beat your ass. I didn't say that, but I thought it. And then I was like, look, I don't got time for this shit. I got to, I got to head to work. And then the entire time at work, all I thought about was like that homeless guy was jaywalking and he flipped me off. So I asked my question. Why didn't you flip him off? (laughs) I should have. In that situation, I think it is. And I thought, you know what? I think, you know, I thought maybe he's going through a tough time. Maybe he's getting like bullied by other homeless people. I mean, I don't know what he goes through, you know? I don't know what other people go through. No, it's tough out there. Yeah, they got the Omnichrome Transformer variant going around now.
2: Oh yeah, you get turned into a Transformer or no, a yeah. Decepticon because Transformers are good.
1: I wonder what the next variant's going to be called. Uh, Necronomicon, <laughs> probably. <laughs> all right. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us today, and again, thank you for the support. You are amazing, every single one of you. So, with that being said, Dan. You want to roll us out? Sure will.
2: It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts.
1: Because you are not alone.
2: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming,